0: Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode number three, and we feature an interview with Reverend Chad Brooks. He's a church planter as well as a host of two podcasts of his own. One of them is known as the Productive Pastor, and so he agreed to come on today's program to talk to us about productivity and the art of preaching. At the end of the episode, I'll let you know how you can send in your feedback. Let us know what you thought about today's conversation, and we'll incorporate it into our mid-month episode that'll be out in just a couple weeks. So enjoy the conversation with Reverend Chad Brooks. Well, as a brand new podcaster, I am honored to have today's guest with us. He is the Reverend Chad Brooks, pastor at Foundry, a New United Methodist church in Monroe, Louisiana. But if you have heard of him before, you probably know him as the host of the Productive Pastor or one of the co-hosts of the Threshing Floor podcast. Chad, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Man, no problem. I am excited to be here.
0: Well, as we get going, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry and also your brand new church community that you're planning.
1: All right. Well, I'm Chad Brooks. Uh, you said I, I host Productive Pastor. Also, I'm one of the co-hosts of the Threshing Four uh, podcast. Uh, I'm here in northeast Louisiana in Monroe, which most people know because of Duck Dynasty. Yeah. And so, yes... Every- Everybody that's 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 what it's like up here. I I live in uh Redneck Central and I, I ride motorcycles and I shoot guns and um I eat what I shoot and so like I'm I'm a redneck and a half, which makes things pretty interesting in our world anyway, because uh we're kind of a minority now. Uh but uh so we got sent up here fourteen months ago to start foundry. We're uh, uh, living in a tiny little suburb of Monroe. Uh, for a town of 40,000 to have a suburb is kind of funny, but um, <laughs> yeah. Sterlington is an old mill town three miles north, and it, in the last 10 years, it's experienced tremendous growth. It's the fastest-growing city in the state of Louisiana now. Wow. A CenturyLink, a, a Fortune 150 company's corporate headquarters okay, uh, is, on, is on the outskirts of Monroe, and so a lot of our growth has come from them <laughs> increasing from about uh, 3,000 employees to 48,000 employees in the last three years. And so, uh, when they looked at this growing edge, and they said, "Let's start a new church in this growing edge, which is the normal way United Methodist start a church. Like, so where's our growth? Let's send somebody there." Yeah. But what we found out is that we were reaching an entire generation of disfranchised and dechurched people uh, in the Northeast Louisiana area. We have about an 80 mile circle of people. They're driving to come to Foundry. Oh, wow. uh, on the weekends, and so it's just uh, it's an incredible ministry of folks in their uh, 20s, 30s, and early 40s where we believe Jesus is big enough and we just are willing to kind of just get down to the, knit and grit of life, but are also like, some people asked me one time and they, they heard about our growth and heard about what we've been doing, which is pretty tremendous. Uh, they're like, I bet you're secret sensitive, aren't you? I said, actually we're pretty blatantly Jesus and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, it's it, it's worked well for us. And so uh, it's been a great ride. It's been a few years and kind of like your traditional associate pastor with contemporary service role. Right. I uh, spent a long time in college. I don't, I spent a long time in college ministry. I don't know if you knew that or not.
0: I didn't. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I came out, I come out of Wesley Foundations. Um, My sending organization for ordination was at the Louisiana Tech Wesley. And so like my wife is the chair of the board of the ULM Wesley Foundation here in town. That's
0: great. Yeah. And
1: so, yeah, so I I was around college ministry for a long time. And so it's just like asking questions about, you know, what, what would a church look like for the next 40 years? and uh, just got the chance to dream big and go for it. And so that's what we do.
0: Why don't you give us an idea? What is your philosophy and approach to preaching? If you had sort of a mission statement or a guiding principle for your preaching, what might it be?
1: Well, I think it really starts more with a philosophy for worship. I was a worship leader for 15 years that got called to preach. And so I'm still, I still kind of think like a worship leader. And so what a lot of it is, is, you know, we, I, we, ex- we step into those services to expect to experience God. And, you know, one thing that kind of causes some grief and dysfunction in some conversations I have is I'm going to enter into worship with the assumption that Jesus wants to change us. Yeah. And so we're going to use that as the the, the, the rubric for, for which we design our entire worship services. And I'm not— I'm not Catholic in the sense that I don't believe the sermon is the most important part of the service, mm-hmm. but I'm also not Protestant in the sense to where I believe what I'm doing is the most important thing in the room, that, I'm, that that my preaching is part of a collective whole that leads people to a deeper encounter with the person known as Jesus Christ, and assuming that if you encounter Jesus, he's going to ask you to do something. Yeah. And so so my, so my philosophy of preaching is always like, I, I, I need to have given someone a roadmap to something different. Um, I'm not just there to educate or to to sound smart or to to give a warm a warm fuzzy, but i'm gonna i'm I'm preaching from the perspective of change
0: well i I like what you said there and the preaching event can certainly be a central event or a, a an event that most people grab onto. But it has to play a role that connects with the rest of the service. This idea yeah. that everything yeah. else is just a warm-up, and this is like the main show, uh, I think yeah. is, is potentially dangerous.
1: It is. And like, and like at our services, we, we will still have probably—this is so out of vogue right now, but this comes from my experience in college ministry. Um, we're going to sing for probably 25 minutes after the sermon.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Because you you got to have the time to process— what the word does. You got to have time to think about what the word does. You've got to have time to put that in, to let the Holy spirit come into your being and just change things. And, uh, so I start preaching actually relatively quickly at our service, usually about 15 to 20 minutes in. Mm -hmm. I generally talk for 20, maybe 25 minutes. And then we're going to sing for another 25 minutes. Uh, so that's kind of, that's different. That's that's, that's different from what a lot of people do, but it's just, we've got to give the spirit, the space to work. And I just don't know how well that happens if someone gives a sermon, you sing a chorus, if you even sing, and you're right. like, all right, let's take, let's take up the offering and check you later.
0: Right. And I, I can see the argument that you want to leave them with what they're going to remember. But I think if we are preaching at the level and the density and the seriousness that we should be, that's going to be a heavy thing to try to carry out into the parking lot, you know, and to the buffet restaurant down the street.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of that's, and that's, that's also like changing your thinking about your preaching style. You know, Andy Stanley is communicating for change. It's kind of like the, the book now. Right. Um, and then like we said, in the pre-conversation, I'm a big fan of the rocket company and preaching rocket and all that, that, that whole style of preaching, you can call it big idea preaching maybe. Yeah. Um, is directed towards giving somebody that one thing to take home instead of just like throwing out all these information and five points. Right. And right. this kind of a thing. And it helps you just guide your preparation, your delivery. It helps you just guide the entire sermon, the, the whole idea of sermonizing, if we can say that. Um, it, it, it helps you communicate that point and focus on that point. Um, and when someone's just having to remember one thing, that's one sentence that you've spent time into crafting and, 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 and preparing – uh, there, there's a much a higher likely that they're going to remember that on, um, later on down the road. Like I'm working on some stuff right now and I kind of call it the Monday moment. Like, what does it mean to prepare for the Monday moment? Like what's, what is that person going to wake up on Monday and like, this is what I learned this weekend. This is how I grew this weekend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As we mentioned, you host a couple podcasts, uh, and the productive pastor is sort of your, your baby. It's your solo project. What, uh, prompted you to begin this project?
1: Honestly, I was bored. And um, I was in a ministry context where it was in a season to where I just kind of, so I'm a rule breaker. Um, like you told me not to do something, I'm immediately going to do it just to see what happens. <laughs> and uh, I was, I mean, I was in a situation where I was just kind of having to sit still for a while. Okay. And, um, you know, for me, whenever something's really intense and really like, so so the same exact week we launched Foundry, the same month we launched Foundry Weekly. Um, I built three boats that month. (laughs) It's like the best way for me to focus on something that's really important is to have something else to focus on. Right. It's completely related. So I started Productive Pasture as a way to, to distract my mind and to give me like something else to just pour into, um, to create space for something else to, 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 to happen well. And I didn't expect it to go off like it did. It was kind of a fluke. And, um, and so now I have this kid that's about two years old now that has to surface every couple of weeks.
0: Right. And right. Uh,
1: I'll take, I'll take sabbaticals once I've noticed about every nine months, I take two or three months off just cause I need that time uh, to plan and to refocus and to change some stuff up. But it's so, it kind of, it, it began honestly out of boredom, but the realization I'd always kind of blogged about it and I'd sit up on Twitter about it and enough people were like, listen, um, and I've been doing the threshing for by then they're like, why don't you just have a podcast about productivity, and ministry. And, and I had enough stuff for eight episodes, and I released them to see what, what, what it would go like, and it it went too well for me to give up on it. So,
0: Yeah, and, and I was going to say, I, I am so appreciative uh, for that podcast, and, and even in the episodes where you talk about maybe a tool that I'm already familiar with, there's this sort of empathetic response or even this catharsis of hearing another pastor talk about the challenge of ministry and managing all of the different demands on your time. And And for you, like you you mentioned, you're, you're building boats, you're planning a church, you're hosting multiple podcasts, uh, not to mention finding time to be present with your family. Can you talk a little bit about what kinds of challenges and demands we all face as leaders in ministry?
1: Well, I think that the biggest thing is we let too much stuff distract us, and we don't have a sense of what's important. Yeah. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. I'm not naturally productive. I'm a pretty good procrastinator. I will win a contest at procrastination. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I could, I could, I could screw around like nobody's business. Um, and so it's, so I had to, I had to learn how to do That's I'm pretty vocal about the other productive pastor. I'm like, listen, this is a, don't, don't try to emulate the parts of me. You don't see, cause I'm pretty bad at this. Um, but for me, it's like you know, when I know what's absolutely most important, I'm going to be the best possible pastor and the best possible leader that I can be. And for a lot of us in ministry, and this happened through several years of working in just traditional churches, and this might be United Methodist thing or not, but but like we we don't have a sense of what's urgent,
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: and we also, for some reason, think it's bad for us to have priorities. Because people will be like, you know, your, your priority needs to be just like shepherding your flock. And I'm like, well, number one, nobody knows what in the world that means.
0: <laughs> right, right. Um,
1: number two, okay, that's really dated language. And then number three, that's called chaplaining, not pastoring. Mm. Um, and and I, I just, the sumptu of Jesus is doing big things, and there's things that, I'm called. There's things the churches, I, the church I serve, is called to do, and we've got to discern what that is. And when we realize what God wants us to do, we've got to go do it. And that means that means setting priorities. Um, and in fact, someone joked the other day they're like you know you shouldn't call it productive pastor, you should call it priority pastor because that's what you talk about more than anything else. And, it's, and we don't learn this stuff in seminary. Exactly.
0: Um, right. Right.
1: We, nobody teaches us how to, to 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 set goals. It's about learning how to do this and and realizing this is what's going to take. To pastor our churches in an effective way that's honoring of the call God has given us and God has given them.
0: When we turn specifically to preaching, uh, we obviously can spend an infinite amount of time on a sermon. There's always another. Oh. Uh, there's always another book to read or another blog post to read uh, or another paragraph to to kind of fool with. What are some of the time challenges that, that you have in preaching and interacting with your audience? What are some of the biggest stumbling blocks or rabbit trails that that we tend to find ourselves on when we approach preaching?
1: Well, okay. So I think a lot of it is the fact that we don't know where we're going. We don't know what we want to do. We don't know what that that call to action, so we'll use some marketing language there. right? Um, we, don't, we don't know what that intended response is. And so when you don't have that, and that's why I, this... This, this whole Monday moment thing that I'm really passionate about matters is because what it does is it serves as a filter for your preparation, a filter for your research, for your study. Um, it, it insists upon you being incarnational in the life of your community to know, like, okay, what do they really need to know right now? What do they really need to hear right now? What not? What kind of cool can I teach them I learned in seminary eight years ago? <laughs> right, right. Um. What and so that so when you realize where you need to go, um it's I, I worked in media for a long time. There's a, a concept called shoot to edit. You don't just get 50 hours of video and then hope to pull something out of it. You get two hours of video, and every single one of those two hours is is is, is for what you're intending on communicating. Yeah, and so it's almost so like it's like uh, I, I I I do not come to a text to start my frontline research. Without knowing, okay, this is what I believe God is, wants to communicate with us through this, and now that shifts and changes in the sure. process. Sure, it, it it doesn't. I mean, I'm not putting limits on the Holy Spirit because it's and, and, and nine times out of ten that intention shifts and changes as I do my research. But I just don't just drop into a sermon blind. Yeah, um, and when you do that, so you just get too much. You, just get, you get too many notes. I mean, to, to make it plain and simple, you get too much crap to work with. Right, which means which means you're going to try to say it all. Right. Which means it's, right. it's going to meander around for 45 or 50 minutes, and, and you're going to chase a bunch of rabbits and never make a stew.
0: Right. When, when I was an associate pastor, it's like I'm storing everything up and I've got to get everything out. And so, where the senior pastor would preach for 20, 30 minutes, I'm going 45, 50, and everyone's like shooting me daggers with their eyes because they're ready for lunch. But I'm like, wait, no, this is everything I've learned for the last six weeks. You got to give me a chance. Yeah. So there are obviously the big areas where we lose time, uh, jumping into the sermon process without a focus or without some boundaries. But are are there any little small things along the way, little uh, maybe leaks or cracks in the foundation along the way that if we were to shore up, we might actually be able to gain a lot of time uh, over time.
1: Um, I think a lot. Of, so like I give away a free sheet, the the uh, my sermon planning worksheet. You know, for me that's huge because it gives me a data collection place. And, um, I mean, that saves me five hours of time right there. Okay. Because it keeps me on track and it keeps me looking at the big picture the whole entire time. And so it lets me, uh, not get overabsorbed in things that I'm not going to communicate.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: I, th- I think also building in a rhythm of when you're going to prepare and realizing that when you're in that preparation space, you need to be distraction free. And I think a lot of times pastors try to cram sermon preparation in throughout the week and they struggle the entire time because of that. They're trying to get an hour here, 30 minutes here, 15 minutes here, three hours here, like all that kind of stuff. Um, Man, block that out and defend that time ruthlessly. And if it means you get out of the office, you get out of the office. If it means you shut your door, you shut your door, um, because when you get distracted, it just takes so much more time to get back on track.
0: Is there a chunk of time for you that you have found to be ideal, a, a time that's deep enough to get work done, but not so long that you're sort of brain dead and and wasting the the last 30 minutes or hour of it?
1: Yeah. So for me, um, I schedule my my sermon preparation in, in two or three different times and areas. Uh, the first one is I do most of my sermon work in the afternoons because I'm worn out Um uh i'm in a thinking mode then i'm in a reading mode and a contemplative mode then uh in the mornings i'm in a hustle mode and so hustle uh, when i need to do hustle stuff it gets hurt when i'm trying to do it in the, in the in the afternoons and when i'm trying to do sermon stuff in the mornings it's just it's just it's just too ca- all over the place yeah yeah and so I, nine times out of 10 i'm going to do my sermon work in the afternoons Um, Monday mornings I use as a little bit of more reflective time overall for everything. And so that's a good space to kind of think really big picture. I do a lot of work four weeks, six weeks out on Monday mornings. Um, just reading the passage a handful of times, making a couple of brief notes, that sort of thing. And then generally Wednesday afternoon and Thursday afternoon, I'm going to bear down for two or three hours at a time then. And then, um, I'll usually work a few hours at night, um, once a week on some stuff. Uh, I spend about 15, 20 hours a week in preparation. Okay. And, um, but that's not just the sermon I'm preaching Sunday preparation. That's right. across the board preparation. Right. And then by Thursday afternoon, I'm practicing the sermon. I'm not, I'm not preparing it anymore. I usually have a first draft on Wednesday.
0: Is that first draft? Is that a, a, a manuscript model? Is it an outline? Is it a set of notes?
1: So I used to be manuscript only for years, which is hilarious because most people that do what I do, do not do manuscript. <laughs> right. right. Um, but I did and I was scared. So I have a little bit of a stutter. Okay. And I I noticed that when I was on a manuscript, I was, I did not do that. And then I also joke around and tell people, if I don't have a manuscript, I'll have to start talking about Bigfoot sooner or later. <laughs> um, and so for a, it was it was a crutch, it was a security blanket to keep me on track for a while. But also, um, this idea that I um, I had to preach beautifully. Um, and when I was in Kentucky at Wilmore, you, there could be a church of eight people that is used to a seminary trained pastor, if not somebody who's done like doctoral work. Sure. Um, uh, the preaching style in Kentucky that I was there was it, just, it was a lot more of an academic, a lot more of a formal. I mean, even in smaller, more rural areas, um, it was a different preaching tradition up there altogether. Um, And then I came down here and I realized I I preached like that a few times. And I felt like I was a pretty decent preacher when I came down here. But I just fell flat on my face because it wasn't conversational. It wasn't relatable. And everybody's like, you really don't. Your preaching is good, but, man, that doesn't sound like you. Like, you're not joking. You're not, I mean... And, and so I kind of had to learn to be myself, and part of that was, well, if I get off this manuscript, um, I'll be a lot more conversational, and so I'll, I'll deal with the fact that I might mess up a word or two and have to go back and say it, or I might my mind might brain fart a little bit, but it's going to come across, this culture is going to come across as a lot more authentic. Right. And so I moved towards that. And so what I generally do is I have a working outline. That's a weird. It's just it's only I can. It's it's my weird thing. It's not an outline. It's not a mind map. It's just this page that everything is played off of. And um, I'll develop the first one of those. Uh, generally, my, my, my Wednesday draft is actually probably a lot more uh, uh, scattered, and I will probably actually preach from my notes So, so Wednesday I'll go through all of my notes and I'll kind of have things circled that I know I want to put together and I'll make a couple of like maps of, okay, I think this is the way this needs to go. And then I will write, I will reorganize my notes in that order and I'll preach through it Thursday, a time or two until I get my flow and the everything in the right place. And then I'll make a one sheet. Um, there's this, this pad I buy off Amazon that when I tear it out, I can fold it in half and it will fit in a thin line Bible with room to spare so nobody can see it.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: And so so usually I'll preach it a few times on Thursday, and then when I, I, when I know I have everything the way it needs to be, I will redo that. And um, I'll probably preach it one more time again on Thursday with my new little outline made, and I'll preach it on Friday two or three times. And then I'll make another one. Okay. That's the actual like working one. Right. And just the act of making that outline for me, is it's, it's, it's almost like I'm preaching it yet again. Right. So by Sunday, by Sunday morning, I've generally probably preached that message 10 times. Oh, wow. Before I step up there. And so it's a, a lot easier to go through. Um, and I just found that that—I'll I'll carry that up there with me. I, I rarely look at it. Um, if I need to, I can. But uh, it's just—so I'm probably spending 10 hours of preparation, uh, two or three hours of preparing those those documents, um, and then about seven hours of running through it.
0: That's great. It, so I'm actually so, sort of the reverse of you. I was working in campus ministry at the time as I was going through seminary, so I started super, super conversational, and it was while I was uh, after campus ministry uh, serving local churches— one of my churches wanted condensed sermon notes printed in the bulletin, and the easiest way for me was to just prep a manuscript and then whittle it down to the size that fit in the bulletin. Uh, so I yeah. actually went from being a, a no-notes preacher, and I'm still a no-notes uh, during delivery usually, uh, but I went from almost no written preparation uh, to now I tend to work up at the very least an outline, if not a manuscript. Uh, and that. And I found that has actually saved me a bunch of time because the way I used to prepare is I would walk around my back porch and just say everything I could think of out loud just to see how it would sound. And that's a great practice. But yeah, the first draft would be like an hour and a half, you know, and then the second oh, time yeah. I did, it'd be an hour. And then the next time I did, it'd be 45 minutes and it would take all these iterations um, yeah. where I was losing stuff because I was just saying it out loud.
1: And and that's what I, I I cannot imagine. Like I know people that just get up there and like, whoever well, been preparing for my sermon all like, what have you been doing? I've been thinking about, about it a bunch.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And I'm like, Well man, I don't know how that works for you, but I cannot you get me up there cold to talk like that, you're gonna hear about Bigfoot. I'm gonna start talking about Bigfoot. Right. Or motorcycles or, or or whatever crazy redneck thing I have in my head that day.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um
1: and so it's just and it's a lot of work and people like they're like, Oh my goodness, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. If we really believe this is going to change people, doesn't it deserve a lot of work?
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people, when when you put the work into it, it looks like less work. uh, Oh, they can tell. Because it it looks... Almost effortless. You know, people would ask me, how do you how do you just get up there and talk? Well, I am not just getting up there and talking. I'm not just getting up there and talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and it's oh, the, yeah, you're not. It's the people that don't put the work into it that make it look really hard, you know, because they're they're really straining for the next point or trying to figure out where they're going.
1: Well, I think that's I mean, there's a there's a big tradition now of, of people preaching for like 40, 45 minutes. Right. And I really think, number one, nobody can pay attention for that long. Right. I mean, nobody, I can't pay attention that long. I mean, there's a reason stand-up comedians do a 20-minute show. Yeah, right. I mean, I can't pay it. I mean, I gotta, I mean, I almost gotta watch a movie in chunks. Even in the movie theater, I can't do it. Um, it just, it takes a, it's a, it takes a lot of preparation to make it look that effortless. It's kind of a, a misnomer. People think it's that natural. They don't realize how much you had to work for it to look that natural.
0: Right, exactly. Well, as someone who um, d- does get to present a lot and and prepare a lot, and uh, you know, between your writing and your preaching and your podcasting, how do you keep all of those wells filled? You're, I know you're a big user of Evernote, a big collector of different items. How do you sort of keep that file cabinet full of stuff to pull out?
1: Well, so I, I live in Evernote. Evernote is, I've got to have it, um, and I will stick every single thing in Evernote. And then I also, and I, now this is changing. I used to not do this, but um, I also, everything starts off in paper with me. And I've just developed this weird filing system um, to where I, I, I keep a day book, which is like my notebook. And I, I, I generally do every single thing in that notebook. And I keep the front couple pages open to build an index out of it. And when the index is full, it gets, the, the index gets put into Evernote so I can search it. And I save all my notebooks. And so that's a lot of that. And I've been doing that for like 10 or 12 years. And so it's, it's saved me time and time again. And I don't know why when I started doing that, I started cataloging it immediately. Um, and so just this weird ability I have to keep up with that stuff Um and it used to all be before Evernote. It was just a gigantic PDF. It was a Word document that would get yeah. edited every month or so, yeah. and then I'd save it as a new PDF because you could search a PDF, right? And um, with now with Evernote, I don't have to do that. I just drop it in Evernote, and um, I don't even tag it very well or anything. I just I, I, Evernote's not let me down if I can remember a couple of words from it. Yeah, um, but generally I can kind of remember like, well, I think that was going on like in March. So let me just go back to my March notebook and see what I can find. And I, I keep them all in a box and I just pull March of 2013 out and flip around the pages. And I'm like, okay, there we go. It's right there.
0: Now, do you use, um, I heard this from their uh, now former uh, CEO. Uh, he talked about how a lot of people don't realize that as long as you have the geo tagging on, you know, if you take yep. paper notes at a conference, you can snap uh, a photo of those notes before you leave. Uh, and so yep. if you sort of, <laughs> you may not remember the keywords, but if you remember where it happened, that can help you too. Yep.
1: Yep. I do that. That's yeah. Awesome. I mean, that's the, the $5, like a month premium right. is absolutely worth it.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but so it's like, so it's Evernote. And then, um, like I've, I've in the last few years I've developed a, 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 system for reading notes that means, um, a couple hours a month. I just sit down and catalog every single thing I've read. And um, I, I did a I did a podcast episode on how I do that. That kind of lined out um, um, how uh, how I read, and that that saves that saves me a lot of times because it lets me get into a mode of cataloging for two or three hours and just do that. I can catalog every single thing I've read that month, um, and I can shoot a, uh, I can shoot blog posts I've read I've liked into Evernote. Um, uh, it's just I, I, Evernote search capabilities have not let me down yet. Until they let me down, that's what I'm gonna. I'm going to
0: live in. Awesome. There's a set of questions that we like to ask all the folks that join us. And the first one is sort of two sides of a coin, and I'll let you choose which sides you'd like to look at. What is one of the more difficult sermons or, or sermon series that you've had to prepare and why? Or do you have a favorite experience from your preaching and teaching career?
1: Um, so I think the, the, the toughest was we did a sermon series on anxiety. Um a couple of years ago at a church I was at. And that was tough. That mm-hmm. was that was that was hard to do. That was big. Um, because it was so heavy. Um, so that was tough. And then some of the favorites, um, I'll give you a favorite one and I'll give you one I'm looking forward to. Okay. Um, the in so many ways a church plant is a chance to take all these crazy things you've thought about for years and to put them together to see how it works. Right. And with the the series I preached during our preview season was a chance for me to really pull into um, all of this stuff that I'd thought about preaching sermon series for a long time. And uh, it was great to preach that and to see how it all comes together is a cumulative whole and what that looks like to do it in cooperation and working along other several other people. And so that was a good one. It was a favorite one. And then honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm preaching a retreat in a couple of weeks. Okay. That is, um, that's for the, the, the Louisiana tech Wesley foundation. And, uh, they had the same director for 20 years and he just took another appointment. And, um, I'm going to be the first time they have ever had an outside speaker lead their fall retreat. Oh, wow. And it's just, uh, I mean, just to be, we, to, to be an alumni and get to do that. It's just crazy. Um, that place holds a special, special thing in my heart. It's like, if you watch lost back in the day, how yeah. they're, oh, yeah. they were, they're were trying to get back to the Island. Right. Like I, this is me getting back to the Island. And so I'm, I'm super excited about doing, doing that preaching there. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, there's three of them right there.
0: That's so cool. I'm actually uh, getting to go back to Gator Wesley at the University of Florida in Gainesville for homecoming this year in November. So I'm also really looking forward to that. It'll be I've been back for worship, but this will be the first time I've been back in a in a teaching capacity. And and I'm so grateful uh, to their director Narcy Jeter for inviting me back. So I, I know what you mean. That's it's just it's like getting getting to go home again. It's great.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Oh, who are some of the preachers and even non-preacher communicators that have been most impactful for you or who sort of you've uh, borrowed wisdom or, or pieces of their voice to, to be who you are as a preacher?
1: Okay, so um, full disclosure, yeah, I don't, listen, I don't listen to any preachers right now. Okay. And I've never listened to preachers. Um, I feel really bad saying that because like, people have been asking that question lately, and I'm like, I don't really listen to any preachers. Uh, so I'll, I'll tell you something in the past that it's the spirit of their preaching okay. that ins- that inspires me. I think John David Walt, JD from Asbury, the, who was the dean of the chapel for a while. Uh-huh. Um, when I see what he, the, the, the the care and the, the the focus on the incarnation that he put into his, his messages, that was a big deal. Um, I'm also a preachers kid.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And um, and uh, and my dad's a really good preacher. Uh, it's completely different from what I do but I think just growing up and then, when, then before my dad was the senior pastor of the church, he's senior pastor of now, uh, he was a youth minister for 20 years. And, the, um, the, the, senior pastor before him was a great preacher. And so I just grew up under, I grew up under good preaching. Um, I'll, I'll tell you who I, 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 there's a guy named Rick McKinley. I don't even know if he's still preaching. This was 10 or 12 years ago. I used to listen to a lot of his sermons. Um, but I liked his his just his style and his cadence and his tone of voice were a big thing that I liked a lot, um, and that's really it. I got, I got, I'm weird. I don't I don't listen to preachers. There is a guy though, and he changed, and this has been pretty recent. And he he made me really honestly think about the entire preaching experience. But he's a graphic designer. And his name is Aaron Draplin. Okay, and um, I, he's the guy who 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 started Field Notes Notebooks, which I'm a big fan of. And I saw him like eight months ago give a presentation on a college campus to a bunch of graphic designers. And I'm sure this is a presentation he's given hundreds of times. And um, it's called Tall Tales from a Large Man. Mm. And he probably had 400 images that he used. And he, for two hours, he talked to a bunch of college kids. And we were in a dark room and I did not see a single cell phone light up. Wow. And he held us in the palm of his hand as he rambled for two hours. (laughs) But it was constructed rambling. And you can tell that he had designed this thing. And the way that he interplayed with his images and just his media and everything was I, was I was like, I was freaking out. It was so good. So I'm, I'm taking notes the whole time for, as far as preaching is concerned. And you can see bits and pieces of that presentation on YouTube. I don't think the whole two hour thing's not there.
0: Okay, cool. Well, I'll try to find a clip and we'll put it in the show notes and make sure that everybody can check it out. How about any, are there any books, are there any preaching or even non preaching books that have yeah. influenced your style?
1: So Nancy Duarte, um, every single thing she's done okay, um, is great. Um, and she's a, she's she's a Christian, but she she developed Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth presentation for him. Okay, and her firm to directs presentations, and also especially on the on the media behind a presentation. Um, and in our in our society now, you've got to be preaching with media. You just, you have to be um, as if it's going to be a modern context. Uh, and so her us influential uh, Andy Stanley's Communicating for Change. Right. It's huge. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael Pascarello has a book. I cannot remember what it's about. I had to read it in seminary. And it's a collection of, and it's the exact opposite of this hyperpractical preaching that I normally do and I'm a fan of. It's like the sacramental side of preaching because that's the stuff, as much as I talk about all this practical thing and the pragmatic, I'm a huge, 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 huge believer in the holy act of preaching. Um, and I've just been trying to meld the two together I, and uh so that book i'll I'll check amazon real quick, okay, we speak because we have first been spoken, yeah, so that's that's a really really um a a good book that has has really influenced me, and he has one more. Um, a narrative reading, narrative preaching, reuniting New Testament interpretation and proclamation.
0: And our last question is, if there are any folks out there that want to get in touch to say hi or learn more about you or your podcast or your new church, how would you like them to reach out to you?
1: Um, so I'm all over every place on the internet with the handle Rev, Rev Chad Brooks. And so uh, you can hit RevChadBrooks.com. It's on Twitter, it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, and then RevChadBrooks at gmail.com is the email address. And then for the church and that kind of stuff is wearefoundry.com.
0: Awesome. Well, Chad, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much for your wisdom and your recommendations. And uh, we'll certainly be checking out, you know, the Productive Pastor and Threshing Floor. and, And just thanks so much for being here.
1: All right, man. Appreciate it so much.
0: And that's episode three of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. You can also connect with the show through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. And that's a great way to send us feedback. And I'd love to hear what you think about the show. And especially when the topic is productivity tips and tricks, everybody has a secret and I'd love to hear yours. Whenever possible, we do try to incorporate user feedback into our mid-month reaction episodes and the next one of those is out in just a couple weeks. And don't forget, this was part of a three-pack of launch episodes that included an interview with Reverend de DeVega, so you still have time to get your feedback in for both our conversations with McRae and Chad. Now, if you'd like to support the show, please go to our iTunes page and leave a review. It lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. It's how people like yourself find shows like this. So thank you so much to Reverend Chad Brooks for his time and wisdom today. And I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.